0: Every sales leader is looking for grit, but I think it's important to note that grit isn't just somebody work hard. Grit, in truest form, is someone who has been pursuing a long-term goal despite plateaus and failures, and they still are passionate about that goal.
1: This is Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing.
0: If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman.
1: And I'm Karina Owens, coming to you from the Gong Studios. This is a super fun episode. You are going to hear from somebody who is, yes, currently in sales, but is a retired football player. Yes, I am talking about former NFL player Ernest Owusu, who used to play for the Minnesota Vikings and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and has had just a long standing history of being a phenomenal athlete who is now an incredible sales development leader at Sixth Sense, a revenue AI platform. He dives into his crazy journey from football to sales. The opportunities are rising for sales with AI technologies and what hiring managers should be looking for when bringing on a new seller that was one of my favorite moments of the episode. Stick around. It's much more towards the end, but some actionable tips, literally a playbook you can walk away with about how you can find the right seller for your team in this environment. We unpack a lot of info here, so let's just get right into it. Enough for me. Let's hear from Ernest. Ernest, hello. Welcome to Reveal. How are you doing today?
0: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm super excited to have you. You are a very interesting guest. Um, You are currently a sales development leader at Sixth Sense, but I'm just going to get this right out the gate. You were actually in the NFL. What a transition. Can you explain to me the interest in football to sales and B2B, no less? Would love to know how that happened.
0: Yeah, so it definitely didn't happen the way I thought it would. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> in a lot of ways, the transition from being an NFL athlete to being in B2B and tech and sales are very similar. Uh-huh. So I guess my backstory is I was, the NFL is an awesome experience. I played for the Minnesota Vikings and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then unfortunately, like a lot of people, <laughs> I got hurt. And the NFL um... is not very forgiving of people that get hurt. So my career ended pretty early, and I was trying to figure out what my next step would be. And it's hard, right? So I took a hard look at myself and tried to figure out what actually got me there, what skill that could leverage to take my next role. And all signs and roads led to something in sales. Mm -hmm. So I started talking to people, got an awesome network from friends from Cal in the Bay Area. And I just took a job as an SDR, loved it, and made a career out of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. First off, are you okay? Are you healed from your injury? Are you still dealing with it?
0: Thank you for asking that. I am okay. I fortunately like no crazy concussions or anything like that. No Good. Glad
1: to hear that. So what was it about sales in particular where you're like, okay, this is like an innate nature that I have and something like SDRs, but you've been there. Mm -hmm. They get hit the hardest in my opinion with expectations, with rejection, like from internally inside the organization and externally. So for you to say that like you had some pleasure in that role. What did you enjoy about that role in particular?
0: Yeah, so it's a couple of things. And it was really interesting on my journey from going to high school, college, NFL. But when I got to the NFL, I loved playing football. I loved making hits and making plays and all the great stuff that came with it. But I started to love more the concept and idea of becoming really good at something and being able to get paid for how well you do that. So when I realized that, like, kind of developed the skill of constantly perfecting my craft and improving my skill set. And I was reaping rewards from that. Knowing that sales in particular, the that role was very similar to that was part of the reason why the adjustment was relatively easy. I will say when I first got in there, I knew nothing. I didn't know what digital marketing was. I didn't know what APIs meant. I didn't know anything at all. But again, I had that skill set of attacking it head on, being super competitive, feedback oriented, and just developing the skills and growing off of that. And as a result, I got better and better. I like I like to say I hit 50% attainment my first quarter. And then after that, it was only higher from there.
1: You're joking. Uh, wow. Oh,
0: joking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's amazing. And so much of what you said is like just doing the damn job, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm a marketer, but my background's in education. So I, I didn't, I, my marketers that go to school for marketing, it's just, it's not worth it, guys. You're not learning how to be a marketer in school and you're you're living proof of that too for sales. Is there anything that you can recall from those early days where you were like, okay, that's that itch. That's that scratch. Cause I feel like SCR, is the quota attainment that we put on them for the number of dials, number of activities. Like to me as a marketer is I want to just make meaningful interactions, but we're forced to have the KPIs as the business sets of activity metrics. What are your thoughts on that? Do you have like a particular stance?
0: Yeah. I actually have a very hard stance on that. And I think there are a lot of thought processes around what you should do. And I think it comes down to do you have commitment to quota or compliance to metrics? So and you have some leaders who are like, I don't care what happens. Just hit your number. You have some leaders who I think they call them, what do they call them, like, dashboard jockeys mm-hmm. typically the say, <laughs> or it's like, I don't care what happens. Make your 150 dial today or go home. So for me, it is definitely a combination of the both. You can't sit or too right or left from either or, but again, like the numbers drive the business allows you to operate and test and create predictability. But at the end of the day, like I play football with some, I was called like it is some like, real knuckleheads. <laughs> but at that point, it, like, did it do what the coaches asked him to do? And then just won. So I do respect when people are producing, but we do have to have a system in place to make sure that we're all at least rolling in the same direction.
1: 100%. And I agree with you on that. And I think a lot of what you just said is really relevant to a hot take that I saw you post on LinkedIn recently. And so I'm going to ask the question the way you started it, which is. Why aren't people holding CEOs accountable for bad prospecting experiences?
0: Yeah, and my personal opinion on that is nowadays with all the tech that we have, all the resources, there's so much information out there. If you have a BDR, a salesperson who doesn't provide a good experience it is 100% my opinion because of the resources enabled that organizations provides that sales team. There is way too much information out there. In the past, you, know, you kind of have to do it on your own. But nowadays, like with tech, with people networked on LinkedIn, all over the place, you don't have to do that. And if you see a bad experience because the team is not prioritizing that sales team that is providing the experience.
1: And I think it's a top-down approach, right? So many teams right now are being faced with the whole, God, I'm so tired of saying it more with less mentality, right? But that comes from a budget and that budget gets ultimately approved by the CEO. So would you hold the CEO accountable essentially for this?
0: Yeah, and you should. And that's exactly what it comes down to. There's almost no excuse to not do it well anymore. There's almost no excuse. And if it's not happening, if you are a buyer who's not getting that experience, literally look back to how they're doing and how much money and resources they're spending on the team doing that job and All signs and rules point to something that's very clear as to not be a priority.
1: Speaking of technology, I think you and I are pretty passionate about how much there is available today. We've been talking about it for a while, but OpenAI, ChatGPT, it's changed the game. It finally woke up Microsoft, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So why do you think it matters? And why do you think it impacts sales leaders in particular? And how should we be thinking about it?
0: Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, as a sales leader, our main jobs are to provide more efficiency and effectiveness of our team. And all of us at some point have some kind of gap in maybe your team isn't calling well, or maybe you're not forecasting well, or maybe you're sending tons of emails that aren't converting. It's our job to find those and to fix those problems. But the reality is like, because those problems can be so massive, it's really daunting and challenging and not easy to solve quickly. There are literally hundreds of AI solutions out there that solve the majority of sales leaders' problems on sales leaders to identify those problems and to use the technology and the resources to solve them. I think about Gong, for example, right? If you're not forecasting well, there's literally a piece of technology to help you pinpoint exactly what to focus on to forecast better, which is a huge problem that sales leaders have. But again, it's worth noting that a sales leader should have a stronger understanding of their business and where those weak points are. And there's more than likely a piece of AI technology that will solve it very quickly.
1: So let's back this up with, what a surprise, some more data. In 2021, the Harvard Business Review surveyed 500 sales organizations to assess the role that AI can play in improving sales performance. The research showed that more AI tools that are applied to a process, the more data is actually generated. Better data leads to better algorithms. Better algorithms lead to better service and greater success. We love a good data story like that. And not only that, but the AI chatbots also decrease costs and improve efficiency, analyze new opportunities, customer needs, as well as generate deep insights. What an opportunity we have at our fingertips, people. So enough data for now. Let's get back to Ernest. I'm with you 100%. Do you have any concerns on this technology? Because I certainly do, and I speak about it quite often, because while these tools are incredibly efficient, it's still the human input that's driving the machine learning forward.
0: Yeah, so interestingly enough, before I got to 6th, I actually worked at a company called Persado, which I guess before this whole like generative AI movement, they did it, in a I I guess a more archaic form, but. It's in sure. What they did was they took copy, been to a platform, used AI to figure out the best way for BDC marketers to use that copy to drive like opens, clicks, buys from email campaigns, et cetera. Now, so I have like really good firsthand experience of like how organizations evolve based upon using the data and using AI. I can tell you, like, and I know some people probably don't want to hear this, but I actually did see a lot of examples of companies that cut their creative teams because the copy that we created at Pristado was so strong. And their team couldn't replicate it mm-hmm. but on the flip side i saw some beauty marketing teams that had such a strong brand and no matter what we tried to do with our copy and how we use ai we couldn't replicate it and their brand would always be our version i don't want to lie or sugarcoat it there are probably going to be environments where people cut down their teams because the use of ai can allow you to be a lot more efficient and do more with fewer people but i also will say you know that human element at times from what i saw could not be replicated that's something that people need to keep in mind as they're looking for ways to develop AI. Yeah,
1: I agree with you. I think now more than ever, we need to be thinking about how we say things, the way we say things. Just to humans are inherently biased, technology isn't right. Mm-hmm. But as we start to train these tools, they do become biased. So I think you put a very positive spin on it. <laughs> but yeah, that's amazing. That's a great example of how. A brand can be so strong in their messaging and so unique and individualistic that it just can't be uh, repurposed by technology, which is incredible.
0: Yeah, and honestly, having seen that and seeing how things are developing right now, I do know that AI is going to make our jobs significantly easier as sellers. But I also have faith in that, like quirky, unique. Do whatever I can to find more information and figure out ways to navigate an org seller who only really care what's out there right now it's gonna take a long time for ai or any kind of technology to beat them now so we'll see how it transpires but I, again i still have a lot of faith in ourselves right now and we'll see how things go
1: what are some of the most creative ways you've seen your team use ai or outreach in general to open the doors especially in today's environment which can be incredibly challenging
0: yeah for sure it's actually very time is because we actually had an awesome new product launch recently at six ends and what i've noticed the teams are doing is literally taking psychographic information, as some people might know what that is, Mm -hmm. I get back to intent keywords and websites to figure Mm -hmm. out like the most precise way for someone to basically take a meeting with us. So think about this way, right? So if you're able to pull psychographic information, which again, uses AI to get this on a particular prospect that prospects company is searching for conversational intelligence, that they're on this particular website talking about conversational intelligence as a tool that people should use, combining those three things on what they About as an individual, as well as the projects going on in their organization, that works really well with how we're
1: prospecting.
0: But it's the same thing too, even with calling, right? So, being able to take that piece of information as you're on the phone with someone, pulling it together and connecting dots to make it a lot easier to have a conversation with someone.
1: That's incredible. Since you mentioned it, you are with Sixth Sense. What is the new product line?
0: So, Revenue eye for Sales. And honestly, I'm super excited about it. At the end of the day, with sellers, there's just so much information out there and having all of it consolidated in terms of the technographic, firmographic, contact data, uh, intent data all in one place to allow sellers to ultimately choose the right accounts in Tommy fashion has been awesome. We had the launch recently. My team has been using it for about a quarter or so, and it's going to change the way people are selling.
1: I'm so excited. And it sounds like it's going to change it where we need it the most, which is top of the funnel, but also churn. That's incredible. I want to dig into the psychoanalyst part of this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Can you unmask for us or... Peel the curtain back. How is your tool actually able to identify that psychological aspect of where the buyer might be versus just like you know them searching for a solution, as you've described? So
0: I think the strongest part of our platform is we're able to pull all different data points on a particular companies, and if they align to what your current customers did before they open an opportunity with you, and that could be look at your website keywords, whatever it may be. Then we match those and say, Hey, this is an account. And in context in these accounts, they should be going after because we're predicting that they have a much higher likelihood of converting to an opportunity. So once the team has the ability to see that's where we go crazy with all this information, that's now in one place to focus on what we should say to ultimately convert them. And again, the thing that I'm most excited about with the psychographic information is because Beck Holland had this amazing write-up a couple of years ago on personalization at scale. She Mm. talks about the specific triggers that prospects respond to based upon what they actually care about and then being able to tie that back to a business problem to make it relevant. With psychographic information, at times it can be challenging to amass and pull like what's a quirky thing that this person cares about? Like for me, it would have been football, right? Or it could have been someone who is a dog lover or someone who does a lot of volunteering. But like being able to pull that into one place and then tie it back to a business problem saves significant amount of time in terms of research and allows the BRT to do a lot more 100%.
1: I think that's going to be game changing for you guys. And I'm really excited for that launch. That's definitely helping to be more efficient and so relevant. I kind of want to pivot back to you a bit here. And again, you being such a unique guest on our show, I know you're also pretty passionate about perceived skills, right? And This market is just so volatile right now, and I think sales in particular is being impacted the most when you think about all the tech layoffs that we've been seeing. So I think people are having to work even harder than they had to before to get a job. So what advice would you give to these individuals that may already have had some perceived bias or notion that they didn't fit the role before for whatever reason, what advice would you give to people that are hiring managers that what should they really be looking for if they would want to bring on a new seller on their team?
0: I think it's always interesting when you're in these kinds of times where you get flooded with a lot of candidates, whether it's like inbound or referral. And I'm still very confident. I don't care if I have a list of 100 SDRs who've been in SDR for two years versus 10 who have never been it before. I'm still gonna stay true to you know, looking at traits and characteristics as opposed to experience. So some key things to think about if you're looking for some good takeaways on let look for SDR candidates. First and foremost, business acumen, and that's not a good person work at a company. Not an SDR, yeah. I had zero business acumen from the traditional sense. I didn't know like anything about how an organization runs. But what I was really good at doing was connecting the DOS quickly. I could take a look at your white background that says Sixth sense helps companies go into white space accounts and fuel your pipeline growth, right? So that connecting personalization to relevancy, people that have the ability to do that quickly, demonstrate the ability to be effective with first. Second, try and true grit. Every sales leader is looking for grit, but I think it's important to note that grit isn't just somebody who worked hard. Grit in a true form is someone who has been pursuing a long-term goal despite plateaus and failures, and they still are passionate about that goal. And the last but not least, curiosity. Like the individuals are, curious, are naturally gonna find ways to improve themselves, are always looking for ways to hack the machine and if you can be really good at identifying those skill sets and creating a more binary structure for pulling those out you can hire some really roster kings
1: ernest i'm like incredibly impressed that you answered that question the way you did and i think that's a playbook that i think our listeners would willingly want to reach out to to steal that i really relate to you on the grit aspect is there a couple of questions you could throw out there that you would use to identify the grit
0: I'm not like the biggest fan of screening. Red. I look at everyone's resume, their LinkedIn, but
1: yeah,
0: Clear, I'm looking for opportunities where there might have been grit. Questions around like what's your greatest achievement and what it takes to get there. You'll start to realize that yeah, I failed a lot of times and it's really hard, and all those things along those lines have been really helpful as well. In the past, I've asked the question of what's your greatest failure and why. I don't really yeah, care whether you. or not they overcame the failure. I want to see how hard they continue to push through it and try to find ways to win. Those are the two great examples of what I use for grid. And you know, whenever I ask them, I usually get some pretty good indicators of
1: whether or not they have it. Just curious about the former one. I use that question. I've had that question. Do you phrase to them personal or work?
0: Don't care. And the reason why okay. is I, I actually usually indicate that it could be personal, professional school. Got it. I don't really care. What. You
1: let them know ahead of time that they can answer it in any realm.
0: Yeah. And again, because the most important thing is. Is there a long term goal that they're really passionate about and they kept pursuing it despite failures and plateaus? Yeah. So,
1: does it
0: doesn't really matter if it came from school, from work, from anything, that, that long term goal.
1: I think it's important actually because I've changed my mind on it now just in this conversation with you that you do actually give them that permission because I think a lot of candidates don't feel like they can share their full authentic self and for me personally like I absolutely would identify that a characteristic of mine is grit and it's because of lived personal experiences that had nothing to do with the corporate world so when I was given that question I did ask can I say a personal experience? And they were like, yes, absolutely. And I was like, okay, it's the realest one. I think it's important that we do open the door for people and let them have permission to be vulnerable, to share a personal story, to relate to that trait, to show that they do have grit. All right. Ernest, I am tremendously impressed with your pedigree in sales. And we definitely here at Gong love to reference game tape a lot. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> been pitched by us before, but yeah, we use game tape all the time. So we constantly are relating back to sports. So I do see the tie-in, but your business acumen, your the way you're approaching sales, the modern digital way to do it, it's the right way to do it. It's the personal way to do it. So kudos to you and everything you've achieved already. Thank you. Appreciate it of course. I have one final question for you. And it's a question we ask all our guests. If you could describe sales in one word, what word would that be? And feel free to take your time. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Sales in one word, I would say passion. And the reason why I say that is because if you have passion for your customers, passion for your goals, passion for whatever it may be, that's going to fuel everything else. So I'd say passion.
1: Well, Ernest, that's full circle because that's how you started your desire to get into sales. There you so, go. So there up. you go. Yeah, perfect. Well, Ernest, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very active on LinkedIn. You're sharing amazing tips for um leaders, people that are just getting started. I definitely encourage you to check out Ernest on LinkedIn. And thank you again for being on the show. It's been such a treat. Awesome. I appreciate so you.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, head on over to gong.io. If you like what you heard, could you give us that five-star review? Maybe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen? We would so appreciate you. Until next time.